All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's good to see your beautiful, wonderful faces. Happy New Year to each and every one of you all as well. Um, if you are a first-time uh, visitor or guest, we have a connection card that should have come in your program or it's right outside the doors over there. Uh, please feel, uh, feel free to fill out this connection card to share with us as much information as you like. Um, if you are uh, part of our Centerpoint Church, Ken Island team or family, uh, fill out uh, on the back here as well any prayer requests you may have or if you want to get plugged in and involved here uh, in the church, please do so. And we'd love to connect with you, pray over uh, whatever issues or concerns you have, pray with you, and I uh, guess you plugged in as well. Uh, we're continuing a new part of our series here entitled, I Need a Word. Every so many weeks, we're going to focus on a word, and we're going to kind of uh, walk around and pour, uh, uh, work with that word, and kind of put some things in place in order for us to understand that word. So we do a series here entitled, I Need a Word, and each week we'll kind of deal with a word and kind of pull some parts uh, apart from there. Um, this word we're dealing with for this next series that we're talking about is I need a word, and the word we're going to be dealing with for the next couple of weeks is giving. Say giving. giving. All right. So there's multiple aspects of giving, and so we want to share uh, different aspects of that giving. One of the aspects of giving that we want to talk about is your time. We want to talk about you giving your time. If you have the book of Matthew, uh, we'd ask that you would turn there to the book of Matthew, the ninth chapter, Matthew, the ninth chapter. While you're flipping through your Bible, your app for Matthew, the ninth chapter, I'm going to pray for us real quick. Um, dear God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your kindness. Uh, we thank you for your mercy. I ask God that you would take these next few moments and use them for your glory, use them for your good purposes, that you, Father, uh, would take these moments and allow it to be um, expanded in our hearts, our thoughts, our thinking, our actions, that we would find who you are and dwell in the full presence and the fullness of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have your Bibles, the book of Matthew, um, chapter 9, even if you don't, it'll be on the screen. Would you please stand with us as we read God's Word? We're going to be reading from Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Amen. You guys may be seated. I want to talk today from this concept of um, giving and if we could extend that a little bit more, we're going to talk about timing. Next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about time, talent, and treasure. Um, that God desires, he requires, he asks for us to give one of those three T's. He actually asks us to give all three of them, but we're going to deal with each one individually. He asks us to give our time, our treasures, and our talent. Today, we're going to talk about giving this time. Jesus is, is doing some amazing things. He's um, changing the lives of people. Um, he's healing people. He's preaching. He's sharing all these messages. And at the end of all of this, when he's going through doing all of these things, he looks around and he just realizes it's a lot of work out here, and we don't have enough workers to get the work done. Are you guys with me? And he says, we have all of this work that needs to be done. The issue is we don't have enough workers to get the work done. And he tells his disciples, he says, I want you guys to start praying that um, our Father God would bring in uh, workers, uh, workers that would do this work. And so the question for you and I oftentimes are, um, number one, it's right up here on the screen, who are the workers? 
Um, this question is asked because a lot of times you and I look at church and we say that we are not equipped, we are not qualified, we are not capable, we're not able to do some of these works that the Bible is talking about. Um, one of the reasons we don't feel like we're qualified to do the work is because we haven't been to Bible college or we haven't uh, sat down and studied long enough or we haven't done X, Y, and Z. And so we don't feel that we are, one, equipped to do the work or, number two, my favorite one is, I'm not called to do that work. Have you guys heard that one before? I'm not called. That's not my calling. Oh, would you go share the gospel? Uh, no, nah, I'm not called to do that. I'm not. And, and so I want to share with us for a few moments who are and help us get an understanding of who are the workers. Um, whether you we won't have this on the, on the screens because I want you guys to really kind of process this in your mind. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of John 14. If you don't, you'll get there in a second. Uh, take a note. Write this down. This is a powerful scripture that I want you guys to grab a hold of. It's John 14. I'm giving you time to scroll there on your app. It's not going to pop up on the screen behind me. So I'm just waiting for you to get there. John 14. You can write it down. John 14. Just giving you a moment to pull out your phone. I know you're fighting the urge to go through that Bible app. And so I know it's difficult. You want to reach in your Bible. You want everything on the screen. I know you don't want to do the work. Um, but anyway, John 14. John 14, verse 12, Jesus is responding. He's giving this conversation, and this is what he says in verse 12. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will, be, will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. Verse 13, you can ask anything in my name, and I will do it, so the Son can bring glory to the Father. You guys heard that? So, when we ask the question who are the workers, it says in John 14, verse 12, Jesus says, if I could just talk to you and kind of make it sound a little bit more transparent, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. He says, I'm not lying to you. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. I'm going to translate a little bit more for us. He says, I tell you the truth. He says, I'm not lying to you. Anyone that believes in me will do the same works I have done. He says that if you believe that Jesus is your Savior, if you, if you believe that he's died on the cross, that you believe he's died for your sins, if you believe that, you accept that in your heart, you are confessing that you are a Christian, then you believe in the works that he has done, and you would be doing the same works that he has done. Are you guys with me? That's in John 14, 12. He goes on to say that if you believe that I am, I, I, I've saved you, I've died on the cross for you, believe that you're following me, that you are a Christian, a Christ follower, if you're a Christ follower, he says that you'll do the same works that I have done, and you will even do greater works than I have done. Not only will you do the works that I've done, that you'll do even greater works that I've done. I'm still in John 14, 12. I haven't left anywhere yet. He says, these works that you're going to do in verse 13, he says that you can ask anything in my name and I will do it. He says, for the sake of, of God receiving the full glory. He says that when you're doing works, you're doing these works to show off God's glory. So who are the workers? Anyone that is a Christian that calls themselves a Christian, that calls them a follower of Christ is a worker. And they should be doing the works that Jesus did. And not only the works that Jesus did, but they should be doing even more amazing works than him. So it doesn't really matter if you don't feel comfortable doing some things, because if you are a follower of Christ, we should be doing some work. Did y'all catch all that? Sorry. Good morning. He says in his word that we should be doing the work. 
And so at the end, we'll get back through this. I want to share with you these four things that God shows us that he says, this is what I did as a follower. Uh, this is what I want you to do as a follower. He says, this is what I did as a believer in our God. This is what I want you to do as a believer in our God. He says, I want to share with you four things that the workers, the workers would be Christians, you and I, the things that we ought to do. He says, I want you to do what I've done, done the work, do the work that I've done and do it greater. Here's the works that Jesus has done and that he's calling us to do. Point number one, what do workers need to do? Point number one, workers need to teach the good news. Verse 35. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. Someone's going to say, I'm not called to teach. I don't know what it means to teach. I don't know how to teach. I don't know what it looks like to teach. What I notice is that there's two things. Jesus taught in the synagogues, which is the churches. He also made the announcement of the good news, which means he shared with people the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of God, the good news of this salvation, this good news of life change. He says that workers' jobs are to teach and share the Christ and good news. And if you don't know a whole lot of scripture, if you don't know the Bible forward and backwards, then we have all kinds of life groups we love to plug you in so that you can start to learn how to share and learn about the good news. But he's also required us to what? Share the good news. I don't know a whole lot of scripture. I don't know this Bible thing. The good news is about salvation and a second chance and a second opportunity. The best good news there is is your personal testimony of how God has changed your life. How God has saved you from all kinds of trouble, pain, anguish, and hurt. How he saved your very soul is part of the good news. And so you may not know 17 verses, but I'm sure you got 17 seconds of a good news story. Oh, I'm deep today. And so it's not just about your biblical ed education, if you know Greek or Hebrew or can read Aramaic or translate it, blip, blah, blah. That's very important. That's wonderful. But at the end of the day, the good news is your ability to give a testimony of what God has done in your life and how powerful and how impacting he is. The greatest testimony, the greatest story people will ever see is how you live your life. And when we had marriage ministry yesterday with uh, Keith and, and, and Patricia, and they were over there talking and sharing with us, and we're hearing all this good stuff, and their encouragement of how they overcame struggles and heartache and pain, that encourages a marriage. And that's good news. And to say that I'm not called to, to, to teach, I'm not called to share. When he says that, listen, part of this requirement, part of what we do as Christians, as, we, as believers, is giving our time to share some good news, to sit down and talk to somebody. Not only are we called to, not only as we as Christians in the church, not only as these believers are called to do this work of sharing the good news, the Christians also point number two, there are workers that need to heal others. Watch this. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And, the heal, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. It says that 
He had the ability through God's grace and his power to do supernatural healing. I believe that God still gives us the grace and the power to do supernatural healing. I also believe that there's healings where people just need to sit down and release their pain and their issues. And you and I have the ability to sit down and talk to folks and help walk with them to get them plans out of the pain and the issues and their struggles that they deal with. Part of doing counseling is walking with people and getting them out of places that are hurtful and detrimental to themselves so that they could be able to experience life again. You come to church and you listen to this bald-headed, beautiful man preach every Sunday. Not you, Nate. You're good. You're got a three-fourths thing going on there. This whole bald, beautiful man here that preaches the gospel, and people come back to hear this message not because of how awesome I am. Not because of how awesome I am, but because sometimes these messages have a way of beginning to reach the heart of what is starting to bring what? Healing to you and I. And if you can sit in front of a group and with a crowd of people to hear a message that brings healing to you and I, why wouldn't we want to take that healing and share it with other people, share conversation, what I heard, what I talked about, let me talk with you, let me pray with you. We have a ministry here that all they do which seems really, really not great, not, and just, just roll me for a second. All they do is they sit and they make blankets. And you're like, what's so special about blankets? When there are people that are hurting, that have lost loved ones, that have lost families, that have lost houses, they take these blankets in our church that they have made and they give them to people with a card or some kind of saying with these blankets. And people respond in touched ways by the fact that they have these blankets. People say, I was encouraged in a down moment Thank you so much. I'm so amazed. Why You don't even know me, but you sent me something that was me. Thank you. And, they, and there's so much joy and so much hope from a blanket because they took the time to try and be a part of the healing process in a grieving moment. You and I as believers and followers of Christ have to take the time to be a part of effectively healing people or being a process in healing people. You just had a baby, we're going to bring you some food. What does that do? Takes your mind off of one less thing you have to worry about. You've lost a loved one, we're going to bring you some food. Because of all the plans and funeral arrangements and X, Y, and Z, thank God that someone cares enough to help me take some time off and get a little rest and a little pre- We thank you so much. That's part of healing. And God says it in his word that Jesus himself walks around and does supernatural healings, and I think he does supernatural healings through the actions of people and what we do how we care for them, how we love on them, how we spend time with them, how we talk about them, how we make a phone call with them. I'm not here to change your life, but I'm here to be able to be used to be a part of an effective process to help change your life through God's power. He says, if you're going to be a, a, a if you're going to be more than just this title Christian, man, I'm trying to leave that alone for a second. Or I hurt some folks' feelings. I don't care about your feelings. Listen. <sighs> If, 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 like, being a Christian is just get out of, get out of hell, or he's the, magic, he's the magic genie, you know, you just, come on, Jesus, fix the problem. 
let's see what happens. If that's what Jesus is to you, you're going to miss this whole process of Christianity is, he didn't answer my prayer, so I quit. Then you've missed the whole process of what being a Christian is. Being a Christian is that you are a part of a working relationship with him. You and him are working together in a way that life changes, not just your life, not just for your betterment, but for the betterment of other people. And he says, this work that he's saying that he wants us to do or be a part of, he says, this work is that we are here to help heal people by our actions, by our comments, by our concerns, by our our thoughts. He says in point number three, he says, workers need to be compassionately help, compassionately help the confused and the helpless. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He says that he's going around and he's sharing these messages in in the synagogues and he's making the announcements of the good news. It says he's going around and providing healing and help for people. And then he looks around at this crowd of people and he recognizes that they are confused, that they are helpless, and he has what? Compassion for them. It is the compassion of God that he sends his son to die on the cross for our sins. It's the compassion of Christ that he goes around and he sits down with the woman at the well and he says, "Uh, tell me about your husband. And she says, I ain't married. And he says, you're absolutely right. You're dad married. And the dude you're with now ain't your husband. Whoa, world star. Like, it's crazy, right? And he comes to her and he says, listen. He says, I'm concerned about you having a relationship with me. And I'm concerned about you having a relationship with God. He goes to the lost, he goes to the confused, and he shares with them messages to bring them back to a relationship with God. That is probably the best good news that you and I could ever have or experience. And for us to look at a world that's hurting and say, "Eh, not my problem. For us to look at a world that's hurting and say, For us to look at people in our own families that are hurting and saying, I hope they get it. I'll take them to church. Maybe youth group will help them out. Uh, That's good. That ain't great. Doing the work of God, being a worker for Christ means that we are actively involved in being a part of changing the lives of people, and we're looking for people's lives that we can change in a positive way. It's meaning to have compassion on them, to love on them, to care for them, to hope for them to have better. It means that in the middle of the day while I'm driving in the car and your name pops up in my head, that I would turn the music down and take 10 seconds to pray for you. Oh, boy. It's because I care about you. I want to be involved with you. I'm thinking about you. My desire is for you to be better. I am compassionately looking after who can we bring in, who can we help, who can we share, who can we talk to, who can we minister to, how can we be a part of this thing that you can experience life on a better level. That's what it looks like to be a Christian and to be actively involved as a worker in this life as a Christian. There's point number four for you. What do workers need to do? You guys and me, workers need to pray to God. Verse 37 and 38. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. 
He literally says to all of us who are followers of Christ that our job, our works, what we should be doing is actively praying that God would bring more workers to grab these confused and lost people that have not experienced or are not experiencing enough compassion to draw them back to Christ. He says, pray for God to bring more workers to the harvest. The only way you can be a worker is that you should, quote, unquote, be a Christian. The only way you can be a Christian is to experience salvation. He's literally saying, I'm praying for people that will become saved and come out and grab more people to draw more people to be saved so that lives could change and that lives could be positively impacted for God. You guys get that? I struggle with this because... There's this huge disconnect between a Christian and being an active, involved Christian. You guys with me? So, I, I, you know, I sit down and I talk a lot of sports with my kids. And so we look at the team sometimes, and a team may have 15 players on it. And then there's like only eight that played in the game that day. And the rest of those players, when you go through the, through the box scores, when you look at the rest of the roster of the players on the team, it says inactive, injury, did not play, coach's decision, did not play, coach's decision. So out of 15 players, only eight played the other seven. <laughs> it's the other seven. They didn't do anything. They did nothing. They were injured. Coach's decision. Coach didn't feel like he could use them that, at that time, or she couldn't use them in that time. It wasn't the best situation to put them in. We have a lot of Christians that have the jersey. They got the shoes. They get the paycheck. They get the reward, the benefits. But they're not actively participating or helping out the team. Oh, they're great to cheer. LeBron gets a dunk. Oh, they hold everybody back on the bench. Oh, my God. They do nothing. And then they get a ring. They get a championship ring for doing nothing. And we have a lot of Christians that got the outfit, got the Bible, got the cross, got the bumper sticker, got the fish on the back of the thing, you know, center point, baby. They got all that stuff. But they're not actively involved in doing the work to advance God's kingdom. I write a check. Thanks. We appreciate the check. Christianity works from the concept of when Jesus first comes to the disciples, he says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Did y'all remember that? Most of you guys, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He gives a call. The call is to actively what? Follow. They begin to actively follow. As they participate in the actions that Jesus is doing is where they actively grow to be strong followers and Christians and disciples of Jesus. It's tough. It's okay. It's all right. It's early morning. So I used to work at this mega church, six, seven, 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 eight thousand members of the church. And I kept watching the people doing security ministry, and they were like, we need help doing security ministry. And I said, I want to do security ministry. And they said, great, come to the 11 o'clock service. We're going to 
take you through the process of security ministry. I said, great. I came outside security ministry, and they said, listen, um, come back next Sunday. Here's some things you need. Get a whistle. Whistle. Get a whistle. You're going to do traffic. Come back next Sunday. 930 is where we need help. See you at 930. Came to the 930 service. I said, great. Glad you're here. This is our busiest service. Here's what we need you to do. We don't have enough people here. So go stand at the end of the parking lot and direct traffic. All right, cool. Went to the parking lot. I'm walking with the guy. We're standing here together. And then he says, all right, I got to go down there. You just direct traffic. And he left me alone. Church of 7,000 people. And I got traffic coming this way, that way, this way, and traffic trying to come into the parking lot. And I'm... And I'm stopping cars here, and I'm stopping this here, and I'm telling this car to go, and this car right by, hey, I'm here. And you get attitudes, and then you stand in front of cars, and they come here, and you just, I wish you would hit my leg. <laughs> come on down here. We got to go. And by the end of those two services, man, I was, I, was, I was mad and angry and out of breath from blowing that. We had teeth marks in my whistle. I didn't chomp down on that whistle so hard. Sweating in July. And they said, listen, man, trial by fire, baby. Congratulations, you did a great job. So what kind of foolishness is this? And they came back and said, next Sunday, you did such an awesome job, we want you to work the most busiest part of the parking lot. The, the what? <laughs> the most busy? Get right out here and work the busiest part. And do everything you did. And this is no testimony of me, but as I worked that thing, I started moving higher up in the ranks of the security ministry, and I started having more responsibility in leading it and taking charge of it, because the only way you're going to be better at being security is you got to get out there and do the work. And it is scary, and stuff is coming at you in every direction, and sometimes you feel lost. But what I didn't know was there was a guy right there on the other side of the parking lot who was watching me the whole time. And what I didn't tell you was they gave me a little headphone, and every so often they would say, wait, we got to choke up, close this lane up, which means we were backed up over here, which means I had to aggressively stand here so that we could let this traffic flow here so the traffic could get on the parking lot from the other side of the parking lot. You guys with me so far? And there's a guy way on the other side that would say, hey, Javan, I need you to go ahead and hold up your side. Cause we, and there's people all around doing this work on this traffic, on this parking lot. But I'm so concerned about my part that I forgot that everybody else is doing their part. But when they're doing their part and I'm doing my part, everything works together in a great and amazing way. But in order for you to be able to be successful, you're going to have to jump out there and do some work. And sometimes you will feel underappreciated. Sometimes you will be scared. Sometimes it's coming at you in every different direction. But the head of security was right over there watching me the whole time. And every so often, he'd speak a little something in my ear that would get me back on track to do the job efficiently. If you're going to be a successful Christian, you got to get off of the bleachers. You got to get out of the stands and get in the game and work consistently. God has got your back. 
And when you're in a church with a group of believers that have the same desire, we got your back to be successful. And it's scary to be thrown out in the middle of the field to do the work. It's scary to pray for folks. It's scary to go talk to people. It's scary to give up your time to share with folks. It's scary to give up you to be involved in other people. for their lives to change. It's quiet today. You know the worst part about being a pastor? Rosie's already laughing. The worst part of being a pastor is if you help 98 people there's one person that's going to talk about you that you didn't help them out. It's the worst part of being a pastor. There are 98 people that I take care of. I miss one. I'm the worst dude in the history of all dudes. I'm horrible. I'm disgusting. I don't have time for. I'm a bad X, Y, and Z. People, <laughs> you were my son. He was like, "Man, seventy-eight is good. <laughs> seventy-eight, take it. C plus, baby. I'm at ninety-eight. That's a that's an A plus. You know, one person has one bad experience. I miss one phone call. I don't think about it for two weeks. Whatever. I'm the worst person ever." You know what I do the next day? Get up, try and hit 100 again. I'm not going to let one deter me from being what God has called me to be. I'm not going to let that negativity deter me from being what God is calling me to be. What if they talk about me? What if they, what if they, what, what, uh, whatever. What, whatever. They talked about Jesus. And I sure enough ain't him. So why wouldn't I put in the work? Being a Christian is more than just the title. It's about actively putting in the work. I talk about LeBron James, a basketball player. You know what they do every time he misses a game-winning shot? He's not amazing. How many shots did he make that were amazing? Everybody wants to talk about your one mistake or your failure. Being a Christian means you will mess up. It means that when you're doing the work, you won't, you're going to drop the ball occasionally. Being a Christian is getting back in the game and moving forward and keep advancing the play. It means keep on putting in the work. I want to share with you today above nothing else that in order for you to be a successful Christian, you're going to have to give up your time. You're going to have to give in your time in helping. You're going to have to give in your time in sharing God's word. You're going to have to give your time in praying. You're going to have to give your time about being concerned about people that are lost and, and, and helpless and bringing them back to Christ. If you're not hitting those buckets consistently, regularly, all of those things on that line, there's work to be done. There's improvements that have to take place. Here's your takeaway for the day. We need to get plugged into being a part of the lives of others and our church. I'm going to say it again. 
the takeaway for today is we need to get plugged in to being a part of the lives of others and our church. People's lives matter. People's lives matter. The lives of people being significantly changed and impacted for God is key and critical. For every person that is lost and confused and helpless and and hopeless and that have lost loved ones or are dealing with addictions and struggles and hurts and pains, they matter. They matter because God sent somebody to help share with you, to bring you back to a place of understanding. And he continues to bring people back in place to bring you closer and closer and closer to him. We have to get connected and care about people. And we need people in this church to desire to get plugged in to change the lives of people. A church of, if I had a church of 100 folk and I'm, I'm only effectively touching 98 of them, I'm only spending time with 98 of them, then the church is out of whack. Nobody called that. It's okay. I'll slow it down for you. We only had 100 folk in this church. We're just using that as a good round number. And I'm effectively reaching 98 of them, and there's two I'm not. You would say the church is not effectively reaching all 100% people. We probably need to get some more people together to get those two. And I would say yes and no. Because ultimately, we should have more people in our church that are more concerned about the 98 that can help effectively reach the 98 and the two. You guys got that? Why should I be the only one? I'm not. But why should I be the only one that's dealing with 98 folk? If your brother or sister is hurting, why do I have to hear through the waiver wire of information in four days that this problem happened to this person, pastor, can you reach out to them? No, nah, they're in your group. I had no problem reaching out to them, but why are you hearing about it and then sending it up the channel when your tail should be right there to meet them where they are? Hello? Why should I have to deal with 98 folk? Not that I don't want to, but why is it that, that you here in this group and then we got to wait seven days for it to get to me. And then by the time I respond, which is two days later, because I'm already dealing with 70 other people's stuff, and I come back and now we're on day 13, they mad at me. When you could have prayed and you could have talked and you could have shared and you could have given ideas and relayed what you've done and how that went down and what that process was, is so we can follow up. Do y'all see what I'm saying with this? The work of the church is not to pass the buck. Wow. The work of the church is not to just pass it up the chain. The work of the church is that we are generally concerned about the people that we are in community and relationship with, that we are hanging out with, that we are talking to, that we are sharing with them, and then we pass it up the chain. These are the first steps. I hate, hate is a harsh word. I hate with all everything in me when my kid comes to me and tells me, here's the problem. Here's the problem with my schoolwork. Well, what'd you do? I didn't do nothing. So you took an F 
because you didn't do anything? I didn't understand. You did not. You're in class. You have a teacher. Did you ask your teacher on what to do? No. I just didn't get it, so I didn't do it. I to take this chair. You took an F in a class you were in with a person that's supposed to relay the information, and you, you didn't nothing? It just didn't, you know, do better next one. Bruh, <laughs> tell you something. Tomorrow, go back to your teacher, find out what the assignment was, what the problem was, how to figure it out, how to fix it, bam, bam, bam. Two weeks later, which is now a whole month, I got an A on that paper. You didn't take any initiative to do what you knew what to do. We got a lot of people getting F's in life because we're not taking the initiative to be life-impacting in their life. Did y'all catch that? We got a lot of people taking F's in life because we as a church are not trying to figure out how to help other people be successful. And we'd rather cross our arms and say, I don't know. If you don't know, we'll be more than glad to help you become successful in being successful so that your team can be successful. Chris, preaching, bro. So preaching. Being a part of a Christian that's in part of an amazing life and walk with God is that you are the workers, you recognize that you are the workers and that you are doing the work. If it means you're at the greeting table, smiling and ushering people in, that is a key part of letting people know there is hope on the other side of the door you just came through. Did you catch that? You smiling at the door and passing out a program is your way of saying there is hope and brand new life on the other side of this door you're walking through. We are welcoming you where life may have crapped on you and did everything else to you. We are welcoming you into a place where we love you. For the next hour, you're going to feel love like you've never felt before, and it starts as you walk through this door. And some of us, I ain't got time for that. I had to get here an hour and a half early to set up chairs. Yeah, because somebody is tired and they're weary and they're frustrated and they need that coffee, <laughs> need that infuse of sugar, they need that infuse of hope. They need to have a place to sit down and focus on who Jesus is. This is their quiet moments. Yeah, we need you to get here an hour early to set up chairs. Man, does the church deal with addiction? You feel the, the tug in your heart to deal with addiction, dog, we'll get you plugged in to start an addiction ministry. We ain't got one, but if you feel led to lead it or you feel like it needs to be done, that's probably a burden that's on your heart that God is working with you with, and we'll be more than glad to get connected to you to show you how to walk with it and put it together. Man, I'm preaching today. I'm not going back to the church because they don't have X, Y, and Z. Well, if you feel like it should be there, it's probably on you to start doing it. Don't take another F. Don't fail in your life and cause other people to fail because you don't want to be bold enough to take the step to get out there. We'll walk with you on how to get it done. Now, I can't tell you what it's like to be an abused woman because I ain't a woman. 
But there have been some women that have unfortunately gone through abuse that have no better conversation on how to minister to women that have been abused. And if that is a burden on your heart, then we'll show you how to plug in and get involved in it. Well, what do I do after divorce? We got tons of people that can walk with you on how to do that, how to be successful, how to survive. All this life in us, and nobody wants to do the work to get life and to give life. One of my greatest joys of being in the security ministry at that church was I got to work detail for the President of the United States when he came to our church to speak. Did y'all catch that? I got to walk aside, aside um, state troopers and secret service people to help escort and get a plan together to walk. President Bush, through the church, that he could speak to the congregation at that time. You guys with me? Because I was dedicated and faithful, and I worked hard at doing my one thing, and God elevated that to a level where you will be before important people kings and leaders because of your faithfulness of the work that you do. And if you don't feel elevation in your marriage, elevation in your children, your children being elevated, if you don't feel spiritual, mental, emotional growth and development, I would question and have you look at how much work are you putting in for God. Because until you start changing that F in your own life, others will also experience the same F in their life. It is critical that we get plugged in to being a part of the lives of others and our church. And it starts with you giving time to be the workers that God has called you to be. As the band comes up and we get ready for communion, I want to pray for us real quick. God, by your grace and by your mercy, you love us, you watch over us, that you give us your heart. Some of us are scared or nervous or don't know where to start. There are great places in this church itself to get plugged in. There are great opportunities to start at home and to grow, to move and go beyond these walls of changing and impacting your lives. Would you take us and give us the drive to come off of the bench and get involved in the game? Would you give us the passion to be the men and women you so desire for us to be and that we feel you internally calling us to be. We would answer the pull of your Holy Spirit, that we would answer the call to be what you've called us to be. Father, would you let this first step of communion for some of us be the place where we say this is our first step of physical, spiritual, mental, and emotional commitment to get involved for our community, for our church, for our country. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.